Welcome to ShopCast, talking retail strategy with your host, Michael Dart. In this program, we'll spotlight the changes you need to know about in the world of retail shopping and help you plan for the future of the industry. Now, here is Michael Dart. Good morning and welcome to ShopCast, the radio show that spends all its time focused on what's happening in retail today. I'm Michael Dart and I'm your host. And I'm a partner at AT Kearney and I have written two books on retail as well, The New Rules of Retail, Retail Seismic Shift, and spend most of my time uh, helping advise investors on uh, where to put their money in the retail and consumer industry. Today we're going to be spending a lot of our time talking about what happened and what we learned at Shop Talk. For those of you who don't know, Shop Talk is the largest, in my opinion, certainly the best conference that takes place on retail and consumer-facing businesses anywhere. In Las Vegas last week, there were approximately 8,000 people who attended the conference, as well as industry leaders from uh, Macy's, Nike, Nordstrom, eBay, Amazon, Ulta, Walmart, you name it. The, uh, the number of people from those companies both sharing what they're up to in their specific industries or the specific companies as well as what they think is happening broadly across the industry. So a uh, really, really interesting time. And as usual, of course, the, the retail landscape continues to be incredibly dynamic. We have the announcement this week of Claire's bankruptcy, the rumor that Target and Kroger may be potentially combining, arguably to try and offset the competitive demands that Amazon and Whole Foods are now going to be placing on uh, those respective businesses. And at the same time, as you go through the uh, the classic challenges for lots of businesses, you hear people like Starbucks announcing that they're going to be opening 750 new stores, uh, Duluth Trading is expanding, and Land's End announced that they, they believe that the environment is uh, so attractive that they're going to open 40 to 60 stores over the next five years. So again, you have this uh, incredibly dynamic environment that's taking place. And so being at Shop Talk, it was really interesting to to hear what people were saying, what they were thinking, and getting an opportunity to discuss some of the big themes. The themes we're going to talk about today uh, include big data, augmented reality and virtual reality, experiential retail, brand engagement, and how to take on Amazon. So a lot of great topics, and I'm very pleased that uh, my guest today was also at Shop Talk and is incredibly well qualified to uh, discuss with me what uh, what she sees is happening as well based on uh, based on that experience and that is Liz Dunn. Liz is founder and CEO of Proforma Inc, a market data and predictive analytics platform for multi-unit businesses. Uh, she consults with a lot of retailers and brands actually is an operating partner at Consumer Growth Partners has 20 plus years of experience in the industry. She was actually uh, an equity research analyst and has held finance roles at The Gap, Liz Claiborne, and uh, also worked in consumer investment banking at Bear Stearns. She's frequently on CNBC and quoted in the press, so I'm very pleased, Liz, that uh, you're able to join me today. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. And uh, we're going to jump straight in because I know we've got a lot to talk about uh, from what we learned at Shop Talk. But the one question I always love to kick off with my guests is, what drove you to pursue a career in retail? Well, it was <laughs> it was a little bit of an accident or or maybe just good fortune, but I started at Bear Stearns uh, almost, I guess, over 20 years ago, and I was slotted in the uh, retail and apparel group, what was then the retail and apparel group uh, at Bear Stearns invest- in, in investment banking, and mm-hmm. uh, I just kind of fell in love with it. I mean, so tangible, but there's also, um, it's ever-changing and, and evolving, and I, I really found that very interesting. You know, it's really interesting, Liz. Nearly every single guest I've had so far says that they almost accidentally found themselves in the retail industry as opposed to having selected it from the get-go and then just fell in love with, I, I think, the energy, the creativity, and the excitement. Uh, uh, it sounds like you're very much in, uh, in that uh, ballpark as well. Absolutely. So, um, Shop Talk, let's get straight into it. Uh, um, 
lots and lots of really interesting companies and perspectives. Our first topic, I'd love to get your views on the whole topic around big data. It certainly was one of the, the major themes that everybody was discussing were the need to both collect data, analyze data, and then utilize it in a way that creates some sort of differential competitive uh, perspective or win for from the consumer's eyes. So with that, I'd love to get your sense of you know, what you learned at Chop Talk around this topic and uh, what you think were some of the big insights that came from that. Absolutely. Well, retailers are, physical retailers, brick-and-mortar retailers, have historically been at a bit of a disadvantage relative to these digital commerce companies because there are less opportunities, less natural opportunities to collect data. And so I think that physical retailers are are playing catch-up a little bit and trying to figure out what data is out there, what are the natural ways to collect it, and and what are the maybe ways to collect data that might be at the edge of... um, of, you know, emerging technology, how can they integrate that into what they know about their customer and then how do they use it? Uh, And so you have this very interesting convergence of some of the digitally native brands that data collection is more natural to them. You have the traditional brands and retailers that are are trying to figure it out. And then you have the technology solution uh, providers that, that are trying to partner with retailers and brands on data. And so... We saw so many presentations that mentioned data and mentioned, you know, sort of getting to know your customer better. How do Mm -hmm. you, uh, as a retailer or a brand, use all the data that's out there to, uh, to know who your customer is, know what are the most effective ways to reach them, and uh, provide them with more relevant suggestions, uh, more relevant information about your, your brand, marketing, communications, et cetera, uh, to hopefully increase their, um, their willingness and, um, and their desire to buy your products. And so, you know, that was pretty much broad brush, the big discussion. And we saw a lot of different brands using data differently. So traditional um, retailers are, are looking at maybe apps, um, sometimes, you know, loyalty or membership programs. Uh, to kind of collect data about their consumer and trying to tie this data together across all of their touch points for for consumers. So Sephora is a good example. Um, you know, brilliant marketers, and they have a, a very good loyalty program. I'm a member, <laughs> um, and a great app. And, and what they're really trying to do is make sure that they keep track of their customer as the customer moves in and out of their different channels of of distribution. So perhaps I go to a store or maybe I'm shopping on an app or perhaps I'm just shopping on the website and they want to sort of know where I am and and track my journey um, throughout all of those experiences. And and perhaps if I'm connected with them on social media, uh, they'll uh, they'll connect with me there as well. And what that helps them do is is really uh, give me personalized recommendations about products know what my purchase history has been, and create kind of natural opportunities for me to shop so that if I'm looking, if I'm in the market for, uh, for you know, something that they sell, that it's kind of obvious that I stay with their brand and shopping um, in one of their channels of distribution. And, and Liz, this is a really interesting topic, and I want to go back to one of the first points that you made, because it's something that I've really wrestled with, and that is, how does a physical retailer get enough data, and, and quite frankly, can they get enough data uh, to really be able to utilize it effectively? Because when I think about my interactions with a particular retailer, quite often I go in there and I make one or two purchases, And so they're going to get some information on me. I bought a shirt. I might have bought a sweater. And then they might not see me, quite frankly, again for six months. And so even if they can tag me, how can you use such a a small amount of data to really get insights? When, When you think, on the other hand, somebody like Amazon, Amazon's got the entire household purchases pretty much for us right now. They know, you know, uh, what we're buying for replenishment. We know what fashion we've looked at. You know, they're looking at what my kids have actually done. Uh, They know where we live. I mean, it just seems like they've got so much information versus the physical retailer. So I'm curious, was, did, did anybody at shop talk, talk about this and, and give any indications of the fact that, you know, given you get like a little bit of information about your consumer, you can still use it productively. Yeah, so I think it's a big um, 
challenge for retailers, and they're looking for ways to do it, for sure. And you see some retailers that are looking at, you know, customer attribution data. They have your credit card. Maybe they have some fragment of your your email address, and they try to create a profile of who you are. I think that some of the more... um, the companies, the traditional retailers that are a little bit ahead of the curve have developed um, loyalty programs or apps, companies like Sephora uh, or Starbucks, where you're seeing um, they've asked the customer for information about themselves and they're, you know, kind of creating a little bit of a um, a touch point with the consumer at every interaction. But you're also seeing technology companies step up to say, how can we help? So Google is mm-hmm. uh, is a great example. They talked about their um, Google Shopping actions. They, they sort of de- debuted Google Shopping actions um, at Shop Talk, and, and they said that they've been working with Ulta and Target, kind of beta customers for this. But what they're trying to do is tie all the data together. And so, you know, Google has so much data <laughs> on us, um, and it's actually scary how much data Google and Facebook and Amazon probably have on all of us, but that's, a, that's another, uh, another podcast. But, um, but Google has a lot of information from our search history, and so um, what they're finding is that consumers are looking, are expecting Google to give them search in context. No, people aren't putting near me or open now in their, in their search bar anymore. They just are saying, you know, I want Chinese food. You should know that I want it near me and open now. That's obvious, right? So, <laughs> so right. the conversation is becoming a little bit more natural in terms of how we search and certainly enabled, um, as well with voice. But so if you have your phone knows where you are, right? Google knows where you are. They know what you want and they can partner with brands to help um, kind of bridge that gap, uh, not just to deliver you, um, you know, the right, the right targeted messages about the Chinese food you might want right now, but also even to help you with the transaction all the way through to payments and, and getting it to you as quickly as possible. So, you know, certainly with food, but even if, if we're talking about, um, you know, Ulta, for instance, with a, with a lipstick or, um, or a mascara or, you know, Target with paper towels, uh, you know, partnering with the brands to say, okay, I know Liz Dunn is in Brooklyn, New York, which happens to be where I am right now, and mm-hmm. she needs paper towels. What is the fastest way that I can get it to her, and how do I uh, enable that, that transaction to happen as seamlessly as possible. So she doesn't have to go to a, a specific website. She doesn't have to, you know, enter payment information. I can, I can bring it all together. And so Google is, um, is working with brands in that way. Um, you also see Pinterest talking about working with brands and eBay talking about working with brands. Certainly Amazon is saying it, but I think brands are, um, are maybe a little bit more hesitant there. Uh, but, but there is a lot of interest from technology companies, traditional technology companies, at helping retailers bridge this data gap and give them data so that they can give these relevant recommendations and marketing messages to consumers. You know, it's really interesting because um, I heard the other day that Google's pitch to many retailers, many brands was, it's us plus you against Amazon. So the alternative is you're playing with Amazon and they obviously paint Amazon as a, in a pretty negative uh, way in terms of uh, likelihood of sharing the data, sharing information around the customer. Um, but uh, their pitch right now seems to be that we're the guys who can partner with you. We're going to take a break, but there's two questions I'd love to come back to um, right after the break if, uh, if we can. One of which is obviously with everything that's going on with Facebook right now and the issue around data, uh, what you think is going to potentially happen in terms of uh, consumers allowing companies to take the data and, and what these companies need to do, uh, number one. And then number two, uh, specifically on Google, um, some questions I have about their ability to bundle products and make delivery cost effective. So uh, let's come back and chat about those right after the break. This is Shopcast, and I'm Michael Dart, your host, and I'm here with Liz Dunn reviewing what we learned from the conference at Shop Talk this year. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you sometimes wish you had an advisory board to help you reflect on your career performance and become a better professional? Now you have that advisory board. 
Tune in for The Well-Healed Professional with host Marta Alfonso. Each week, we speak with successful professionals that share their hands-on, real-world knowledge and reflections on critical elements of a successful career. Listen live every Friday at 12 noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Only 12% of companies from the original Fortune 500 list remain on the list today. How do you ensure your organization stands the test of time? A.T. Carney works with Fortune 500 companies every day to answer this question. Visit atcarney.com to find out more. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. The American consumer market will soon include six generations for the first time. Prepare for the era of personalization and total connectivity with insights from consumers at 250. Join the conversation at atcarney.com forward slash consumers 250. Does your organization lack proper leadership? We're not necessarily talking about experience, but about how to face the changing dynamic of leadership today. Sometimes the people we lead know more. Old ways don't work anymore, and the comfort zone just becomes too easy. Listen for Out of the Comfort Zone with Dr. Wanda Wallace. We'll show you how you can adapt and develop your leadership skills to today's workplace. Every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Business. For exciting video content live and on demand, visit www.voiceamerica.tv for exclusive content you just can't find anywhere else. That's voiceamerica.tv. Tune in now. You're tuned in to ShopCast, talking retail strategy, featuring Michael Dart as your host. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Shopcast, and I'm Michael Dodd, and I'm here with Liz Dunn, and we are uh, diving deeply into what we learned at Shop Talk, the conference in Las Vegas last week. And Liz, just before the break, I had two questions for you. I guess the first one is, with everything that's happening with Facebook right now and the apps that have collected all this information on uh, users, consumers, and then handed it to people in ways in which they may not have wanted their uh, personal data to be handed, you know, to these uh, to these companies or to be used in that fashion. Curious, what uh, your advice and, and thoughts are as as big data becomes even more prevalent, and what uh, retailers and brands need to be thinking about in managing their relationships with the consumer. Absolutely. Well, uh, Facebook did have a presentation at uh, at Shop Talk, and it was it was tense because they, you know, were defending a little bit their position here relative to Cambridge Analytica and the data uh-huh. breach. And um, you know, I think they wanted to present that they could be a partner with retailers on data, but the news of the day um, and, you know, the last month really kind of overshadowed that offering. And so I think it's, um, it's a difficult line. There's a lot of uh, commentary and studies that have been done that suggest that retailers, or I'm sorry, that consumers are open to retailers using their data if they use it um, for you know, to make my life easier. If you are going to use my data to um, make my life easier to deliver more relevant uh, products and marketing messages to me, then, you know, I'm on board with that. And there are a lot of studies out there that say that. But I think that this um, kind of passive uh, collection of, of data that I didn't intend to um, to find its way in, in the hands of a marketer, that's a little bit trickier. And I think there is a, a movement to delete Facebook and a movement to, you know, really tighten up the amount of data that we share online because um, because it's been used inappropriately. And so I think that if consumers know what the data is going to be used for and uh, how 
and and who they're giving it to, right? I've made a decision to give retailer X my data, and they are going to use that uh, for things that directly relate to me. That's fine. But once it starts to get into this territory of trolling my friends and, and you know, figuring out how to, um, how to, you know, do unsavory things online, I think that's where people uh, start to get into trouble. And so this is... Um, a big trust issue. And one of the uh, professors from Wharton who spoke said, um, consumers want to buy products they like from brands they trust. And breaking that brand trust is a huge issue. Um, Once you do it, you're probably going to have a hard time getting consumers to trust you again. And I think Facebook is is a little bit in that position. And so... um, I wonder if it will kind of dampen their ability to um, help retailers with data because I think that's what they want to do. They they want to you know help retailers yeah. uh, understand how to use data and, and breach the customers and deliver targeted marketing messages. But um, but if it feels as though the trust is being broken, um, consumers might might have a negative reaction to that. It made me wonder whether or not I should delete all of my apps and, uh, you know, from different retailers because, you know, when you, you sign up for any of these things, you get this long, I, do, you, do you agree to the terms and conditions? And I don't know anybody who's actually read any of those terms and conditions. And inside some of those, who knows what information is actually being harvested from uh, from me. And I, I think you're right. It does uh, and increasingly going to focus on the issue of trust and does require that retailers become uh, very, very uh, attuned to the fact that, particularly millennials, this whole issue of trust and authenticity is a big one. Um, My second question just before the break was talking about Google and how Google is partnering with retailers and brands to compete against Amazon. One of the big challenges that I've always seen for these uh, point purchases, like, you know, I want to get paper towels and Google can solve that. The challenge is how do you fill a basket with something like Google versus Amazon who's able to fill your entire basket and therefore make the shipping costs and everything economic? Did Google talk about that? Is there a solution there that suggests they really can be a, a true competitor partnered with retailers and brands to uh, to meet Amazon? They're, they don't seem to be looking to build their own marketplaces. So what they are doing is partnering with uh, with specific retailers to enable um, the retailers to have that seamless experience, uh, which may go from search all the way through to commerce and it gets delivered to your home. So, you know, the Target example or the Ulta example. But I think they're looking to make um, to make voice search fairly ubiquitous and to make um, Google Payment uh somewhat ubiquitous so that you can kind of create the entire um, journey through the funnel on um, on Google, oftentimes through natural voice search and not necessarily have to leave. You know, you can envision a scenario, and I think this is used in one of the presentations, where um, I want to know, I'm going to New Orleans for the weekend, and I want to know um, what are the top boutique hotels in New Orleans. And so perhaps they've partnered with some sort of travel site and can give me those recommendations. And then I say, okay, Google, book, um, book, you know, the Royal Sinesta for these dates. And that happens seamlessly without me having to go and, um, you know, go on whatever the, the Royal Sinesta's website or the, right. um, or, you know, some sort of travel website to complete that transaction. So just completing, um, completing the whole uh, purchase transaction in that one search engagement is leading to a significant uh, increase in conversion and and, um, basket size for retailers like Target and Ulta. Mm -hmm. And it seems that if if retailers are going to partner with them, then uh, making their their stores incredibly uh, valuable points of distribution and making that incredibly efficient will be critical because basket sizes may be fragmented because of the way people interact with the with Google. Um, keeping going on data, one theme that also I've heard a lot about, and I know came out of the uh, uh, the presentations from the uh, Wharton professors, is this whole idea of customer lifetime value. And that the way to really think about a business now is that customer lifetime value. And I was curious if you had uh, any thoughts or insights around that concept and, uh, and what you learned uh, from those presentations. Yeah, this is, uh, I, I think, Wharton's key framework for understanding 
um, the value of a brand um, or a retailer. And to that end, what was really interesting, I think yesterday, Nike announced that um, that they were acquiring uh, a, a data analytics firm that was really kind of a seed stage company, but based on this framework of customer lifetime value. So, um, so really timely and interesting that Nike went out and decided to uh, acquire that that skill set and that um, that data driven way of, of looking at um, looking at customers. And for Nike, for a company like Nike, you know, they were talking about. Um, about some of the things that they've uh, that they've done around loyalty and understanding their customer, and those most engaged customers are significantly more valuable uh, than um, than the you know sort of casual customer. And mm-hmm. so there's there's just once you can get the consumer to um, really engage with your brand and really fall in love with your brand, then um, then the the frequency with which they purchase from you, the um, their desire to, um, or, you know, they're having your brand as, as top of mind for purchase consideration, all those things increase significantly, and the value of that customer um, increases significantly. Likewise, and, and this, is, um, this is a problem that a lot of retailers face right now, there are these customers who are just looking at your brand as a, um, as a place to go for sale and a place to go. This is a problem, really a plague um, with, with retailers in the U.S., um, the heavy promotional activity, and mm-hmm. we hear oftentimes that consumers have been trained to shop on sale. Well, retailers are segmenting their customers and saying, okay, who who is the person who's going to come in and buy the new product for full price and, you know, have a healthy basket size and... Um, you know, who is the customer who really just wants to buy from the 70% off rack? And how do I uh, target different um, different marketing messages to those two customer types? And maybe I want to fire the customer who's only buying on sale, but certainly I want to lean into my conversations and my, um, and my marketing to the customer who is more valuable. So you really can pick up, you think, uh, a real understanding of how the consumer shopped you, how they're purchasing, and therefore... Uh, target your strategy, your marketing messages based upon their behaviors, and that's going to obviously uh, change the value, quite frankly, of the customers over over the duration of the, uh, their interactions with you. Is that right? Right, and it's going to change the effectiveness of your marketing and the return on your on your marketing spend if if you're um, targeting those customers where you're going to get the highest return for um, for an investment in engaging with them. You know, the one thing which I've always thought about when people talk about customer lifetime value is sort of an adage I've, I've heard and repeated a number of times, which is today with all of the uh, access the consumer has and with all of the social media, it's never been easier to gain a customer, but it's never been harder to retain a customer. And so when I see people saying we're going to lose a lot of money acquiring the customers, but over the lifetime, we're going to make a lot of money. I've always thought, well, yes, but what if they then move to the next person who's also trying to acquire lots of customers by offering incentives? Did anybody talk about that? And is that a real issue and real challenge here? Yeah, uh, the digitally native companies, the digitally native um, vertical brands talk a lot about this concept of what is your customer acquisition strategy and how uh, how does it compare to the customer lifetime value. Many of these companies are fairly young, and so they don't have um, 10 years of history, but maybe they have three or four and can track, uh, track the customer's value over time. And I think it's an important metric to uh, monitor because you also start to see when your brand is maybe getting stale. And, um, and so if you're tracking this met- metric of customer lifetime value and you have a, a cohort of customers that are, um, that are, you know, your sort of solid go-to best customers and you start to see that cohort fall out of love with the brand, it mm-hmm. might tell you something about, um, about the direction of your brand or it just, you know, informs the, the lifetime value. And there are certainly um, instances where uh, a company may just have a three- to five-year um, relationship with a brand and then that customer graduates to something else. Um, but I think that uh, the best brands um, can keep those customers engaged and add new customers and sort of move them from, you know, awareness first purchase all the way to, you know, brand love, advocacy, um, that whole path, um, and, and keep them engaged with the brand. 
Well, Liz, this is, this is great. I want to shift gears there. We can take a break again right now. And when we come back, let's talk about augmented and virtual reality. That was another uh, huge area of discussion and topic at uh, Shop Talk this year. So um, you're listening to Shopcast. I'm Michael Dodd. I'm here with Liz Dunn. And uh, we'll be back after a short break. The American consumer market will soon include six generations for the first time. Prepare for the era of personalization and total connectivity with insights from consumers at 250. Join the conversation at atcarney.com forward slash consumers dash 250. Looking for exciting video content live and on demand? Visit www.voiceamerica.tv for exclusive content you just can't find anywhere else. That's voiceamerica.tv. Tune in now. Only 12% of companies from the original Fortune 500 list remain on the list today. How do you ensure your organization stands the test of time? A.T. Carney works with Fortune 500 companies every day to answer this question. Visit atcarney.com to find out more. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. tuned in to shopcast talking retail strategy featuring michael dart as your host now back to this week's program welcome back this is michael dart and we are discussing what we learned at shop talk the retail conference in las vegas and i'm here with liz dunn and we've just covered a, a real interesting discussion around data and big data and switching gears Augmented and virtual reality. So, Liz, what did you see that particularly excited you on this front at Shop Talk? I actually thought that the most exciting thing was from Nike, and um, I wasn't expecting that. So, wow, Nike. Uh, augmented, yeah. <laughs> augmented and virtual reality last year at Shop Talk felt a little half baked. It felt like mm-hmm. you know there was a lot of excitement about it, a lot of talk about it, but not a lot of practical application um, beyond beyond furniture. Um, and I think that furniture is still a, a place where people are using you know augmented uh, reality to sort of see how how something looks or virtual reality to see how something might look in your space. But Nike had the just a really, really interesting presentation on their take on augmented reality. So what they're doing is this game called Sneaker Stash. And um, what, they're, what they've done is taken the, the kind of sneaker launch that kids have lined up for and, um, and you know, fought over these sneaker launches for, for years. And not just yeah. kids, but, you know, some people that are young at heart, sneakerheads, uh, <laughs> have been battling it out to get the hottest releases um, forever, and I think we're on the uh, we're Nike has like a 50 year anniversary, um, I believe this week. So uh, so it's really timely. But what they've done is they've taken that experience and turned it into uh, this gamified shoe hunt. So they are delivering um, messages about about product. They'll show. Uh, members of their sneaker stash group um, a shoe and they'll show them the shoe in some sort of location context. And what the, mm-hmm. what the um, hunters have to do is find where that shoe is, right? So you might have some graffiti shown on a wall or some sort of signpost, you know, some sort of context. And then the, the um, consumers go out and hunt for the shoe. And then when they find it, they're allowed to uh, purchase it Digitally, and what what Nike saw with this, um, what they've seen with this so far, is that um, instead of this competitive thing that um, that actually becomes a friction point and and uh, not so fun experience for consumers, they are seeing that consumers actually help each other with the hunt, and so they're seeing people hunt together, and it's fostering community, and um, it's it's so it's finding a way to take this. A uh, really exclusive product launch thing that is that is one of the hallmarks of Nike's brand, and turn it on its head and, and make it fun and engaging, and use augmented reality to you know kind of digitally hide the shoe in some sort of location and send consumers out on a really experiential trip to find it. So I was just blown away by that. I thought it was really impressive. 
That's really funny as well because uh, you could imagine if, if the crowd became competitive, what a PR nightmare that would be if, if you actually had people you know, pushing each other, shoving and, and really dashing to try and find the shoe and hunt for it. But actually it started to form, it sounds like it formed a community and bonding amongst people who are out there looking for this. Is that that's right? Absolutely. That's uh, that's what they've said. And I mean, it's early days and this mm-hmm. will be, you know, these are limited engagements and you just can't buy the shoe if you're not in the right um, geolocation. So they're geofencing an area around where they've digitally hid this shoe and, you know, the first however many people to get there um, get to purchase the shoe. So it's really fun and very fresh. You know, it's interesting. It's uh, uh, the augmented reality of the supreme concept, isn't it, where you've got this uh, limited edition select product that um, people really aspire to to acquiring, and you don't even need stores for it now, do you? You can actually have uh, a business model where you, you actually have the product, you don't need a store, just augmented reality, go out, look for it, find it, and then purchase it digitally and, and create a community along the way. So, uh, really interesting. No waiting in line. <laughs> no, exactly. Um, how about in the beauty space? What did you see there in, you know, augmented or virtual reality? Because it's been such a, a huge push. There's all of these beauty apps, and a lot of people are saying that, you know, sooner or later, you won't need to actually go to Sephora or Ulta to, to try things on because you could do it in your home with a, a group of friends and the uh, uh, the technology will be such a point that, you know, the shades, the colors, the ability to uh, to play with product will be almost uh, as good, if not better, than you'd actually have in a physical store. But uh, I was curious if you saw anything there that uh, captured your mind or that you thought was even close to that, uh, that perspective. I think it's still in early days. So both Ulta and Sephora have um, the ability to, you know, kind of uh, virtually paint up the face, <laughs> for lack mm-hmm. of a better phrase. So I can put on, I can try on different shades of, of um, foundation or lipstick, try on different um, sort of eye treatments, a smoky eye or whatever, um, or entire um, in, an entire face of, of makeup, uh, an entire look. And um, it's, it's coming along. I've seen this technology um, for you know, over a year in different forms, and now they both have it as part of their um, as part of their app. But uh, but I still think there's something about the beauty experience and their experts that is really going to keep drawing people into the stores. So um, so it's fun, and certainly I can envision it maybe helping you um, helping you buy a a new lip color. Because it's um, you know because it does match your skin your skin tone and um, and you can see how it looks on. But I think there's something to the tactile experience as well as the experts that um, that Sephora and Ulta have in stores to help you with application and show you different treatments that will still drive people into stores. That's interesting because uh, Ulta obviously is planning on rolling out. A large number of stores, I believe, at the conference, they said they're going to continue with their 100 new stores per year and believe there's a lot of white space in physical retail. So it sounds as though uh, you'd be a believer that uh, those stores make a lot of sense. And it actually takes us nicely into our next topic, which is experiential and frictionless retail as well. So a lot of people, particularly the mall owners at uh, Shop Talk, uh, continue to be bullish about physical retail despite some of the reservations I have. And as you know, I'm one of the people who believes there's still a, a big shakeout occurring and going to occur in, in physical retail. But uh, what did you hear? What did you learn? And what is what is working in retail today as well? Yeah, I think I share your concerns that there will be a big shakeout. Um, the big mall operators, um, the, you know, the Westfields and GGPs of the world have pretty clean portfolios of, of malls. And so um, there might not be as much of a shakeout for them as there is for uh, some of the smaller and independent operators um, and, you know, the, the C centers. But, but um, they did talk a lot about, so, um, so there were three mall operators at, um, at Shop Talk and they talked a lot mm-hmm. about uh, the need to create more engaging centers, and, and so they're adding a lot of things that are very trendy, food trucks and, you know, different events, jazz nights, pony rides, <laughs> um, the list goes on. I yeah. think that um, GGP was, was really interesting. They talked about two specific concepts that they have tested and are now looking to roll out. Um, the first is called 
IRL, which stands for in real life um, in tech speak, <laughs> is uh, it's a rotating space for digitally native brands. So they saw a need to um, freshen up their their assortment, their um, curation of brands in some of the malls. They know that digitally native uh, companies, brands, want to open physical retail space, but perhaps might not want to sign a long-term lease. Um, you know, maybe they would just want to dabble with the idea of physical retail. And so this is allowing them to do that in these um, in these kind of rotating spaces for these brands. And um, so that was one that they touted. And then another one that they talked about was FOMO, which, again, in tech speak, fear of missing out, um, mm-hmm. is a similar concept for restaurants. So, you know, both of these are just ways to bring newness and excitement into the shopping venue and um, and create these sort of must must visit uh, experiences for consumers. Um, there was also a talk of kind of non traditional um, non traditional tenants, and there's been a lot of you know back and forth there over the years. There, the landlords were um, resistant to alternative tenants for a long, long time, but now they're starting to um, be open to these, these non-traditional health clubs or um, light medical facilities, um, grocery stores, all of these things just to drive traffic in. And uh, I, I, think it's, um, I think it's an important innovation or, or change because in order to stay relevant, I think they will need to think a lot about who their tenants are and, and who are the places, where are the places that the consumer is shopping most. You know, I love the idea, the IRL in real life, you know, rotating space for digitally native brands, um, not even necessarily digitally native brands, but just creative new startups. Uh, one of the concepts that I saw that I thought was really interesting was the um, the Airbnb for retail, where you could literally go online. They've simplified the uh, process for renting space, and you could take short-term leases and suddenly create uh, a space that for a startup brand uh, for six weeks, a few months, whatever time period, they could actually get to a place where there's reasonable traffic and get themselves exposed to the consumer. And it makes an environment so much more engaging and appealing than um, just having the same old, same old um, stores and brands that uh, uh, exist in either a department store or in the mall. And so it struck me that that was a, a really great idea that I hadn't thought about before. And yeah, I was wondering whether not a whole bunch of department stores should actually think about uh, utilizing this app, creating their own app to rent out space to people, which could be, you know, directly based on commerce, but it could also just be based upon a lot of really interesting uh, things like art, um, music, uh, literature—you name it—that would drive traffic and making it very easy for somebody to rent space inside. So, um, so I thought that was really, really interesting. It sounds like you thought it was uh, uh, pretty exciting as well. Absolutely, and I think it's needed. I, I listened to one of the uh, digitally native companies, M. Jemmy, which is a shoe company, and they mm-hmm. just said, "We won't sign a standard ten-year lease. We won't sign a seven-year lease." They're looking for you know short engagements, and they are opening some physical stores, but um, but more pop-ups than stores, and they're just they're not looking for um, the industry standard. And I think that model is a little bit broken. I also think that to your point, department stores need. Um, freshness. They need newness. They don't have the brands anymore. And so if someone like a Macy's were to um, develop a strategy like this, I think it would be brilliant. You've already seen um, Kohl's taking a step in the direction of we're going to allow Amazon returns. We're going to have, you know, um, Aldi rent some space from us. And so I think that um, we need to see department stores thinking more innovatively about how to utilize their space because they have too much. So, two strategic thrusts for people is IRL and uh, FOMO, and both of those hopefully would be uh, interesting for the consumer. Let's take another break now and then come back and continue our conversation of uh, what we've learned from Shop Talk. I'm Michael Dart, and you're listening to Shopcast. The American consumer market will soon include six generations for the first time. Prepare for the era of personalization and total connectivity with insights from consumers at 250. Join the conversation at atcarney.com forward slash consumers dash 250. 
Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Only 12% of companies from the original Fortune 500 list remain on the list today. How do you ensure your organization stands the test of time? A.T. Carney works with Fortune 500 companies every day to answer this question. Visit atcarney.com to find out more. You're tuned in to ShopCast, talking retail strategy, featuring Michael Dart as your host. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back. I'm Michael Dart, and we're talking about uh, uh, lessons learned from Shop Talk. Liz, one conversation that I'd like us to uh, to have is really continuing this one around the physical retail and what you think the stores need to be doing. Obviously, they need to be more efficient, probably smaller, uh, more supportive of digital commerce, and inspiring and creating immersive experiences for the consumer. Curious um, who you think, you know, Shop Talk was articulating a, an interesting message and doing some interesting things around these dimensions. Yeah, I think that um, the frictionless store experience was, uh, I thought, that Target did a nice job. Um, some, you know, I, I talked to some of my colleagues who maybe had a different opinion, but I certainly thought that they were very candid about the realities facing um, facing them and the ways that they were adapting. They obviously acquired Shipped um, back in December, and that's helping them with the last mile. And they said, hey, listen, you know, we know that the Target run is kind of our, our whole thing. Our, our business model is built on people coming to the store for toothpaste and walking out with... <laughs> A bunch of a bunch of mm-hmm. things they maybe didn't anticipate buying, and so as they navigate this new world, they're trying to make the target run um, easier than ever, so that so that customers can engage with them at different points, and perhaps they do sometimes come to the store and have that traditional experience, but other times they just need to order the toothpaste, drive up, and have it in the car in in two minutes. And uh, so I thought Target did a nice job there. The conversation that most of the um, traditional retailers were having was really around frictionless retail and how to um, remove any obstacle that the consumer has so that that um, experience at retail doesn't break down because of uh, slow checkout or, you know, items that are out of stock. And so a lot of the beauty of of omni-channel or multi-channel integration is that consumers can go online in advance of visiting the stores and and look for the items that they want and, and kind of transact before they even arrive at the store. And that is removing friction for sure. You know, one thing which I, I thought was really interesting at Shop Talk was the digitally native companies, you know, folks like Textiles, which own just Fab, Fabletics, et cetera, they seem to be the ones who are innovating more around the technology in the stores and how to create that frictionless environment for the consumer and and, uh, and, and are probably being more thoughtful around the technology and how to utilize it than many of the incumbents. I don't know if that was something that uh, you share that point of view. Absolutely. They seem to be approaching the physical store um, more from the standpoint of what data can we collect here that we can't get online. And so, for instance, if um, there are fit issues, you can get information about that in a store and you might not, you might get a return um, if you can transact online and you're not quite sure what the return, why they, why the customer returned it. In the store, they could try it on. It doesn't fit. You get that immediate feedback. So opening up channels so that um, so that they can collect all that feedback is really really important. But the other thing I thought uh, from these digitally native companies is they want the tech within their stores to kind of blend in. They don't want to have stores with big screens everywhere and obvious tech. And so they're using their um, their apps and you know their websites. They're using their digital presence to arm their sales associates with tools that they can um, use to get feedback from customers, to engage with customers, so that the tech doesn't have to be the star of the show. It can still look like a warm, engaging retail environment. Interesting, interesting. And that takes me to last question, big elephant in the room, taking on Amazon. 
Uh, who's doing a good job of that? And what are some of the insights that, uh, that you learned from the conference around taking on Amazon? Yeah, Amazon um, was the elephant in the room for sure. Amazon themselves presented. They talked about uh, they talked about their marketplace and kind of pitched themselves as being supportive of the retail ecosystem. But they also talked about Amazon Go, which is their um, their uh, market that doesn't have any checkout. You just kind of walk in and um, take what you want. That was a fascinating presentation. Uh, I think that, um, you know, Walmart gave an interesting talk. They had Mark Laurie and Andy Dunn um, to talk about what their e-commerce path is, and they're certainly um, focused on free two-day shipping, uh, having pick up at as many locations as possible, reaching as many customers as possible, um, as quickly as, as possible, and um, building out brands that target the or that appeal to a millennial consumer. And so um, so they're looking to continue to make acquisitions um, to, to kind of combat Amazon. And I think that um, I think that the consensus among people I talked to was people are hesitant to um, to do too much business with um, with Amazon. Certainly, traditional brands are, and so I think it's going to be a battle. Uh, and I, I don't think that the viewpoint is you can't make it without Amazon. One of the VC panels talked about the fact that some of the biggest exits have been businesses that compete head-to-head with Amazon, like Chewy. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they built a billion-dollar business in direct competition with Amazon. And so it can be done. It's just figuring out what Amazon can't offer and, um, and you know, navigating that to deliver service and products to customers. You know, what was really interesting to me about the Chewy presentation, uh, which they just really highlighted, was the fact that in those segments, those marketplaces where you want a lot of customer service, uh, you want to talk to somebody, you want to have some level of expertise, it really is a white space that Amazon is not competing in. And Chewy obviously exploited that pretty effectively in pet food for the uh, the pet parents who want to talk about the food, want to talk about their pet. And uh, uh, it's almost impossible to find a live person at Amazon. So uh, I thought that was a really interesting and innovative way to compete against Amazon. Obviously, uh, uh, they've been incredibly successful to date. Liz, Absolutely. I want to thank you so much for joining me and sharing your insights and perspectives on the conference at, uh, at Shop Talk that we attended. I think this has been great and really appreciate it. And uh, you've been listening to Shopcast with Michael Dart and Liz Dunn reflecting on Shop Talk, the retail conference. Next week, we'll be talking about cannabis in retail and what's happening on that front. So be sure to join us for next interesting discussion on the evolution of retail here. Thank you. Thank you for listening to ShopCast, talking retail strategy. Please join host Michael Dart for another edition of the program next Friday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern Time and 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And check out past episodes at any time on demand. We hope you enjoy your week.